Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Welcome to Standing By, an after-show special with our star-studded cast of The Bystanders, hosted by creators Jacqueline Hales, Heather Morris, and myself, Ash Lindsayan. You may know today's guest as Chuck Bass from Gossip Girl, or Vincent Swan from White Gold, or my personal favorite, Rick the Killer from The Bystanders. I'm, of course, talking about the delightful and funny Ed Westwick. Enjoy. Hi, I'm Rick the Killer. Holy Rick! That's a beautiful man. That man is a killer? I'm also a plumber. Has life thrown you a clog you can't get rid of? Yes. yes. Is there a leaky pipe getting everything you love wet? Yes. Yes. Do you need someone dead but you don't want to do it, see it, or have any part in it? Yes. He can do flips. Leave it to me. And watch your stubborn problems slide down the drain forever. And nunchucks? More like Rick the Thriller. Just click the link below and let me take care of you for once. Oh, and P.S. No cash, no American Express, and most importantly, no refunds. Say you so. So, Ed Westwick, thank you for joining us. Um, For starters, I'm curious, as we all are, what drew you to the role of Rick the Killer? I hadn't done anything um, like this before and I saw it as, you know, for a number of reasons. I thought it was absolutely hilarious and then uh, a chance to really kind of experience what it was like to perform just with a voice. Mm. And that was was something that was very, very appealing, you know. Um, And, you know, I always like to try and find a voice for the character and I I tried a couple of things, which obviously, which weren't what I went with in the end. But but it's always just part, it was just, it it was going to be an interesting kind of... uh, process you know to uh to find that character and and, and it just be about the voice you know because as an actor you guys know you it's it's the whole thing usually you know it's thought of that but it was particularly interesting to kind of go through that process um knowing that it would just be my voice so yeah it was it was all of those reasons it was funny it was it was about the process and uh yeah so you hadn't done any voice stuff before i don't think i knew that i i think well you know i featured during uh, one episode of Family Guy, which I remembered actually, um, I'd completely forgotten I'd done it, which is strange. And I don't, I don't remember the character actually, but um, so that obviously that's called animation and uh, and voice. But yeah, I hadn't really done anything where it was just my voice, you know. So certainly anything like this, which is you know witty, well, Family Guy is funny, but um, you know, just a kind of ensemble thing that's just that's just a podcast just audio you know there's something so freeing about it because you can just read off of a page and not have to feel like you're trying to memorize a line and remember the line but you can just look at the page and like perform every time yeah i think it was that and also you know we made this in lockdown right and for a lot of us who uh who, who you know haven't been able to work or you know whatever it was a great chance to 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 be with people creative people and feel that energy again, even though it was done over computers, done over the internet. Uh, you know, I've been in London and you guys were in LA and I'm sure 
places. So it was all of these things, you know, it was all of these things that, um, that got me uh, excited. Getting those creative juices out. There are so many people, I feel like. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. I feel like we kind of see Rick as like this lovable bad guy, kind of a likable villain. He's so likable. Oh my gosh, you <laughs> love him in this. And he's a... Weird, he's a that, right? Weird. <laughs> so great he's so lovable and then how it's written too of just all the characters love him you love him straight off the bat so yeah that mm. love absolutely yeah do you have a favorite likable villain a favorite likable villain oh wow it, uh, that's uh it's interesting but i'm gonna i'm gonna have answer like a really obscure answer right now it's i don't, can't think of anyone but but i'm gonna i'm gonna answer with this there's a line that 50 Cent says, right, which is about this kind of concept. And he says, I watch gangster flicks and root for the bad guy, turn it off before the end because the bad guy die. And, like, it's <laughs> funny, right, because you just – sometimes we do. We like, to, we, like to, we like to watch these guys. I'll tell you what. I watched a film recently called I Care A Lot with Rosamund Pike. And um, she, she felt like the villain from the get-go. She was, you know, basically um, – imprisoning uh, old people in in homes in old people's homes and uh was uh you know to 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 run the insurance scam type thing and you hated her from the get-go you hated her from the get-go but then she is introduced you know she gets caught up in this kind of mess which is of her own doing and you have her introduced to uh well you have the character coincide with peter dinklage and they're both awful people and you're not really sure who's the hero who's the villain they're they're both both you know and um, it's funny, you, do, you know, at times you're like, oh, why am I rooting for either of them? And you know you shouldn't be, you know, it's, it's something that's quite refreshing. And I think that's what's kind of refreshing in, in this as well, right? Is that, as you say, we've got a villain, but we like him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's, how I, that's how I felt with uh, Heath Ledger's Joker. Mm-hmm. I, he was awful, I mean, to say the least. And he, I wanted to see him on screen more and I was rooting for him, but not... I don't, I don't, that was a that was an interesting likable villain for me where it's like he's not likable but he was and I don't know if that was Heath's acting and how he portrayed the character but I always think of that as a villain that I'm like I, that's funny because I did too when when we when we asked this question I was like and I think it's just the psychological idea now that we are so welcoming to understanding people's people's histories like what actually happened to him as a kid, you really want to see them do better and like overcome something. Yeah. That's good. That's a great one. Yeah. 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 Um, so recently you were in a comedy on Netflix called white gold and you're so funny in that. That was one of, that was the, one of the roles that made us think, Oh gosh, like it would be really great for, for Rick, your comedy in it. And just how you were as that character was really, really funny. So is it so going from that role or Chuck Bass and Gossip Girl, which you played for many years, going from like a serious role like that to uh, Vincent Swan character in White Gold? How was that? And do you prefer comedy over drama? What's, um, yeah, how was that experience? I don't think I prefer one or the other. I consider myself lucky to work and uh, lucky to, to do this thing, you know? So whatever it is, you know, I think. The thing that motivates me is, you know, do I attach to a part? And of course, we've, you know, we've taken jobs where the attachment hasn't been that easy to find, you know, but we do it and, and we find something about it to bring it to life and to enjoy. Um, but 
you know, I think the funny thing is with, with Gossip Girl is I thought there was a lot of comedy in there, and especially with Chuck Bass, you know, he's, I just thought his bravado and his, mm. um, how obnoxious he was, his audacity actually was just, I, I, I cracked up and I think I played it. I lent into that at times and, and I wanted to, and I think that's kind of, that, that was the space to kind of find comedy within there. And then with White Gold, I was, you know, it was really a gift of a part. I mean, the the writing, you know, was is just phenomenal. You know, Damon Beasley, who writes that, is just brilliant. You know, he won BAFTAs for the in-between as his show before. So yeah. um, I was just kind of, I was lucky to be in that presence and it was very educational for that. Um, in that regard, I got to kind of soak it up because um, he was, it was two of the, uh, two of the actors from the in-betweeners as well. So I just, you know, it was, it was amazing. I really did enjoy it. Um, There's a lot of lines to learn, which is which, okay. <laughs> a lot of, a lot of pieces to camera, which for some reason, because we, because we as actors, we, you, it's the one thing you don't, don't do, right? You don't look at the camera. Don't break right. the third wall. <laughs> right. Yeah. And, and there's very little camera. shows that do it. Yeah. When I had to look at a camera, I was like, what's my line again? You know? <laughs> like, oh, it's like, yeah, it's like a rabbit in Suddenly headlight. in, in your I, head, in the, the filmmaking world, as opposed to losing yeah. yourself. In the, right. And it's always like, what relationship are you going to try and, who are you having a relationship with when you're doing that? What are you trying to get across? You know, yeah. it's all sorts of. Things. Having to think of the external, like. Yeah. How's this audience? Gonna, yeah. Cause I think at, at the beginning, you know, he was like, Oh, Damon, the director, he was like, oh, this just have, you know, it should just be conversational in general. And I was like, no, I'm going to like just snap into this stuff, you know? And so I was doing that. Um, but anyway, it was, look, I, I, lo- I love, I love doing it, you know, and it was great doing this bystanders with you guys as well, because again, it was, it was comedy again. And, um, you know, I think people have seen me in Gossip Girl a lot and they see me doing these brooding stuff and like, am I, like I'm, I'm honestly, I'm just like I love to be a goofball, you know. So like, at any chance I can get stuck in on some of that goofiness, um, you, you know. Showed I, us. I, no, 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 not at all. I was just saying, any any time I can get stuck in on some some goof on there. You definitely showed us that with um, yeah. with this character because at the time we were trying to figure out how we weren't trying to figure out, but we wanted to have the option of Rick. Um, maybe throwing us a curveball with his character. So I remember mm-hmm. us asking you for quite a range of, of zaniness and you, yeah, yeah, goofiness. And you gave it to us in the funniest way that I hadn't seen before. And it was just, it was really fun to listen back to. And also gave us a lot to choose from of, yeah, how to do, work with how do we want this character to go? Like, do we want him to be just this different type of guy or still just this kind of more, sexy stoic um thing with just hilarious lines that come out of come out of that so but what you do so well is you get some goof in there <laughs> you take comedy and you make it serious and that's what we've talked about karen karen Hui and jim lau recently we were saying there are some of the characters in the show and they were like the best comedy is when you take it very seriously and yeah. you do that really well yeah yeah i think it's it's interesting as well with um because i've had things in the past right where We've got a classic audition. I'll go in. It's an American character, and they and I introduce myself. They hear my voice. They're like, "Oh my god, do it in your do it in your voice." And you're like, "All right, first of all, I've come in and I've prepared it in an yeah. American." <laughs> really. The second the second thing is is what people don't realize a lot of the time is it changes everything 
when you change a voice, you change a character, you know, and because like the way certain words sound or just how a joke's going to land, they might not land if it's in an American voice or an English uh, accent. It, it might just not sound funny. And I've had that before. And everyone's like, mm, you know, they're disappointed. Yeah. It's, like, mm-hmm. it's funny you say that. It's just kind of speech. Yeah. Yeah. Because uh, originally Rick the Killer was supposed to be Australian because we wanted, we wanted the jokes to land with that Australian kind of like, yeah. I don't know, bumbliness or something? Yeah, it kind of feels like the Australian accent has a little bit of comedy, whereas this English accent has a little bit more, like... Um, Find or something. Yeah, I, I think in America we always oh, think... Oh, serious. It's, you sound it's, a little bit more serious, maybe. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes, and I was like, oh, okay. And I remember I had it for a moment with this before, like, before I read it and worked on it. And I was like, no, 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 it, it, it works, which is, which is great. So there's so there's always those things to kind of, you know, to, to consider, you know, which makes it, it makes it another challenge, which makes it interesting, which is which is awesome, you know. Yeah, you know, what's funny is sometimes I'll if I have an audition coming up and I don't quite hear the the way that I want it to sound, or you know, not trying to like put myself in the position of like judging myself, but I'm like I don't hear it. I'll give myself an accent, and I've actually had it in acting classes with Ash. Well, they'll give they'll make me do an accent. And then I just hear it so much better. Um, the jokes or the lines, I'm like, oh, that's how it's supposed to sound. Okay. And then I'll go back to an American accent. It's very weird how, how we discover that. Yeah. And that's yeah. what it's about, right? It's about yeah. traveling things and figuring it out. You know, that's one of the great things about acting. Oh, yeah. So in the bystanders, um, this comedy, we have a group of neighbors who they come together and they actually hire you essentially to kill their troublesome neighbor, Bunny. Have you ever had a neighbor that has given you any sort of trouble? Yeah. I have <laughs> you one. wanted to kill them. <laughs> have you killed anyone? Have you killed anyone? <laughs> um, no. The weird thing is, it's like, I don't know if I can say this because he's upstairs right now. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Um, no, this was a neighbor years ago, right? This is someone else. Yeah, this is somebody years ago. Yeah. Years ago. <laughs> yeah. Tell us. Tell us. That guy. Uh, <laughs> yeah, look, I mean, I think, she, do you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to be, I'm going to go really, yeah, look. <laughs> <laughs> Things happen, but it's, you know, you never know what's going on in somebody's day, right? You never know. So. You never know. Yeah. Bigger, bigger. You never know. And I think that's one. Yeah, well, that's what I'm trying to trying to do right now. But uh, <laughs> I mean, look, Nate. Uh, yeah, I'll tell you what. Actually, I was a naughty little sh star T when I was a kid, and um, not not all the time. But there's uh, a person across the street from my mum's house. Not across the street. Our, our garden, in the back corner. There's another garden and the house. And I used to kick my soccer ball accidentally all the all the time over into their garden, and they oh, hate yeah. it, you know. And so there was a little bit of tension between us. And I remember, like, my dad on the on the shed roof, like, would cut the was trimming like bushes, and she'd be screaming at him or something. Like, it was ridiculous because two branches went in the garden. Anyway, and I think my dad might have, you know, I don't, I, don't, I think he was, I think it was the summertime, and he had his shirt off, and I think he was you know, made a funny gesture at her, I don't remember. But um anyway, it was uh but I I, I, I was pretty bad. I went I was play went round the street to the front of their house and I remember there was a, their son was visiting and he had this car and he had the sunroof open and I was eating 
jam on toast and uh, I went and threw it through the sunroof. Oh, no. Seats. I really regret it. <laughs> he didn't like that. Terrible. No. So you you were the neighbor um, oh, doing the... God, this is recording. I shouldn't have said that. But here's the thing. Like, I have boys who kick balls, soccer balls, baseballs, all over every single neighbor's yard. And, like, that's what kids do. That's what you're supposed to do. No, but now I look like some functional troublemaker who should have been sent off to some reform school, you know? No. 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 Then you wouldn't hear this. <laughs> yeah. I do stuff like that all the time. I remember, yeah, being a little butthead and doing stuff like that. I mean, but do you feel a difference living in the U.S. and like compared to England? Like, do you feel like neighbors are more stuffy there as compared to here? Yeah. Yeah, I do. Definitely. I just think, you know, I'm just, so I've been living back in the UK the last year and a half and obviously all of that's been locked down. So I, again, trying to be the bigger person, people are under stress. And whatnot, so I think everyone's mood's a little bit... Sour. Stressful. Yeah. But, Testy. You know, I've had, I've had <laughs> you know, when I was living in LA or New York and I used to have parties because I didn't have a normal schedule, right? So it would be, yeah. like, be Tuesday, it would be Wednesday in the, in the wee hours and... Uh, or something like that, and some some someone below bless them have to, has to get up and go to work in the morning, and they come up and knock, looking knock on the door half asleep. And you're like, can you turn the music down? And of course, I obliged. But you know, no, relatively, I, 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 you know, people have everything's been all right, you know. But yeah. in comparison, I don't know. I mean, people are people, right? Wherever you right. go. I feel like in America we have, and and maybe this is the West because I knew New York is a little bit different, but there's there's a little bit of like a smile and like um, I don't know if passive aggressive is right, but like just be nice, keep the peace, keep the flow going, mm-hmm. good vibes, like all that stuff going <laughs> on. That there's something about, and I see this in British comedy, the bluntness and the realness that I love yeah. is so so funny. Like it's just it's real and and. In America, we do that too, but I, I noticed a little bit of difference of just, I hear that, I guess, from people that are like, people in California and are so nice and so neighborly. Yeah. And I'm like, are they? <laughs> right. It's I almost just, a facade though sometimes. It can be. Can be. Uh, yeah. I think so. I, 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 yeah, you know, it's funny when you, when I, because I don't really live in LA, well, I don't live in LA anymore, but after you've been away from it for a bit and you come back, it's, it's a damn nice, you get a damn nice dose of, the California warmth and the California kindness. And if it's fake or if it's real, I don't really care. It makes me feel good, you know? Yeah, Yeah, it's true. The bystander (laughs) effect is a psychological phenomenon that the more people that are around when something happens, the less likely people will do something. They expect someone else to do something about it. Have you ever been in a situation, Ed, where you were a bystander? Uh, Yeah, unfortunately, I've seen a couple uh fights before um whether or not it's you know people get guys on guys getting picked on or whatever or uh, you know guys speaking aggressively to girls and drunk or whatever and i've i'm not trying to be a hero or whatever i've I've, my friends would have done the same it's just the way i was raised like if you kind of watch something and if it gets to a point you know you kind of just try and do what you can to just kind of say hey you know let's, let's ease it up so it's probably. I mean, it's been ages since you know been, been on been on the uh, been on the rough streets, really. But um, so there's a couple of those. But I mean, the classic thing, right? Is I've seen people get knocked off bicycles or stuff like that, and for a moment, you're like, 
was that real? You know, was that real? You know, that kind of shock. And then you kind of watch around to see if anyone does anything. And actually, at every time that's happened to me, just only a, a couple other people have got there before that mo- that bit kicked in me. So I wouldn't say I'm the guy that goes, well, vroom, straight in. But I would like to think, obviously, I, I'm pretty sure I, I, w- I would go and help, you know. But yeah, it's a fascinating concept. And the idea that I think one part of it's like, you know, if they're, if they're, so it's, 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 if there's more people around, you know, everyone's less likely to do something. Is that, is that? You're assuming that the other person will do it. The other person. And the other version of that, I guess, is like mob mentality, right? Where Mm. if, if you're out and like, there's a small scuffle in a, in a group or a couple of people are aggressive in a peaceful protest, let's call it that then it might escalate and become a not-so-peaceful protest, you know? Right. Mm-hmm. They're setting each other off. Um, yeah. yeah, you never know when you can intervene because it almost seems like, oh, okay, well, am I about to get seriously hurt or, or what? Yeah, it's yeah. true. There, the circumstances yeah. depending, and it's, like you said, Ed, like that moment of kind of assessing, seeing what's going on, seeing if it's your business or not, but there's certain circumstances where... I think you have to make it your business, but yeah. not every, um, I don't know. There's also a time and a place, especially if you're driving, I find, you know, like if, especially if you're on the freeway, you know, and you're going super and you see something going on, there's always that ping of like, do they need help? Oh, yeah. Do I stop? Now I'm like an exit past it. Someone will help or they have a cell phone or they have whatever. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's definitely, Interesting. Yeah. I actually, I saw, it was raining one day a few years back and I saw this man who was speeding beyond, he, he should have been 20 miles less than he was. And he, he hydroplaned like terribly out of control, hit like the median and then skid to a stop. And I was so shaken up. I was like, I have to stop because what if he's not okay? And so I did stop. And, you know, then my feelings were almost a little bit hurt because he was like, no, I'm fine. Just keep going. Like, he did not want me to be there. He didn't want anybody to see what had happened. He was so upset, but like, he was okay. He was okay. He just, I don't think his car, yeah, I don't think his car could even move after that. I mean, it was just, yeah, like. Things happened to me in LA with hydroplaning as well. There was this car. I mean, it was pouring rain and everybody on the freeway is going like 30, like so slow. This car just comes terrorizing through and, and, you know, just honking on everybody. And up the freeway, I see she's hit a pole. It's fallen. All of that. Oh my God. It was one of those moments like, do I stop? But I saw that a bunch of other people had stopped. There were like yeah. five other cars that had stopped. So I, I kind of, I just went on my way thinking, okay, they don't need another person. But I don't know. Do you still stop? Do they still need another person? Do you still probably, stop? There's also probably those people who really, really uh, shine in, in those situations, you know? Yeah. Those people like looking around, driving, looking out for like the... The, 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 the terrible thing that's about to happen in it. They're there, you know? I mean, <laughs> yes. imagine, you know? Yeah. They drive around just to find those things. They drive around <laughs> looking to help. Yeah. I love that. The heroes. So to that note, like if there were some sort of live action version of the bystanders and for some reason you couldn't play this part, you weren't available for it, who would you pick to play your role as Rick the Killer? Will Ferrell. <laughs> 
Oh my God. Would he be British as well? I don't think he, I don't think he needs to be. I could just see him coming in just doing something that maybe he's, I don't know, you know, I could just see him in like a tank top with like a wrench okay. or something like that. Just, I, you know, just a tank top. Thanks for the And everyone still and everyone's still like what is going on. And even and they, they they can still be attracted to him. And that's part of the funny the humor as well, maybe. I mean, just you know, that's just because I love Will Ferrell and I think it'd be amazing. It'd be like it'd be like Sorry. One of those moments, uh, Wedding Crashers, which is one of my favorite comedies ever, when he comes down the stairs and everybody in the audience, you know, just was like, oh, are yeah. you kidding? You left this out of the previews. He's in this too. It's like that moment. I feel like that's how it would be when Rick the Killer would arrive right. uh, in this if it were Will Ferrell. Though I will say episode three teases your character. There is that similar like, oh, wait, what? The next episode, Ed Westwick is coming in to play this character. And it's really fun. It teases it in that way. So we get a similar thing as well, but that's a great answer. I know. Well, Farrell has quite the presence too. So that would... would Joe Farrell. That's great. I love that. (laughs) I did not expect that at all. Either. Love it. (laughs) Um, I'm I'm a little curious. Um, Ed, how did you get your acting start? How how old were you when you started acting? You started uh, over in England? Yeah, 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 I did. I started working when I was 17. Uh, I found myself on a film um, called Breaking and Entering, which was directed by an amazing director, Anthony Minghella, who won the Oscar for The English oh, yeah. Patient. And, uh, yeah. and I, how that came around is... There's a thing in the UK called the National Youth Theatre, which is a a group of uh, it's like a yeah, it's a theatre company for for youth. So uh, I think it's fourteen to twenty one or something like that. And you audition and um, you audition to get in, and then if you get accepted, you go on their two week uh, course um, in the summertime in London. And after that, you're then part of this community, and you. You know, they put on productions and do a bunch of different stuff. And so I auditioned and uh, when I was 16 and I, I got in and I, I did the course, had an amazing time. And then I, you know, kind of went back to normal life. I just, just finished school because uh, we, fin- we finished at 16 and then I did some further education. And then um, I got an, uh, an email to, to go along to an open audition, basically, for, for this film, Breaking and Entering. Which I quite, it's just so strange now that I understand the business a bit that, that these two roles were being cast in that way. But he just wanted hmm. to be, it was completely unknown. Um, he two people completely unknown. So he went to the National Youth Theatre, where, you know, be a bit of acting experience, I guess, was people who were into it, but, but weren't, weren't, on the, weren't on the, on the radar. And so I went along and met him and had this, very informal audition, very informal. It wasn't even an audition. We just, I remember he said to me, he said, he said, he said to me, I'm not asking you to act because you're not asking me to direct. So wow. let's just read it. And I just read it. Uh, and I got this, got this role, so, you know, small, small role in the film. And after that, I got an agent and started working. Um, and then, yeah, a couple of years later, after doing a few small bits, I, uh, Started working with the manager in LA and, you know, tried my hand at a few auditions out there and uh, 
got pretty lucky early on, um, got Gossip Girl, which obviously changed my life. So, um, yeah, that's, that's. God, what a, what a great experience for your first audition yeah, for somebody to say, I'm not asking you to act because uh, you're not asking me to direct you. Like, how beautiful is that? Yeah, I mean, that kind of, you know, the experiences from that film, like it was with Jude Law, Julia Vinoche, Ray oh, Winston, wow. Very cool. Robin Ken at the time. And it, I mean, they stay, they stay with you. I mean, they're still the greatest lessons, you know? Yeah. yeah. And I think, again, like that's the environment you want when you go into casting. I think so many times um, people don't realise, do they, what it's like for actors going in. And, you know, you want to be set at ease. And we go back to my story at the beginning with Mingela, being like, I'm not asking you to act, it just sets you at ease. And, like, that's how you want to be. You want to be able yeah. to feel relaxed so you can give your best performance, not feeling... And sometimes you walk in these rooms and people are just, like, so deadpan or cold. Yes. It's just like, what is the... what is? Do you not realise that, you know, you could set it up better so then maybe you yeah. get something better out of me and then you, you get the that, bingo. <laughs> and I'm like, right. and then I think the best, I'm not saying the best directors were actors or anything like that, but I'm saying definitely the people that make it, you know, the, the people that I think do great stuff or that I like, they've just got a little bit more understanding of what it is to be. But there's such a, like that, you know, there's such a difference going into a casting room where you have a director or, or a casting director who purposefully does it deadpan. They don't want to give you emotion because they want to see what you do with it. And then you have a casting director who reads with you thoughtfully and is there emotionally with you. They get such a better read out of you. Yeah. And I just can't figure out why. I don't get it. I don't get it. <laughs> My girlfriend, she's an actress, but she started doing some casting stuff and she became a reader just because she wanted to exercise that and be in the room on the other side, right? And she, she was like, there's a balance of me giving them enough so that they can play as an actor, but not giving them too much to where it's like me acting, you know? Yeah. And she was at an audition. She did that. And then a few months later was at an audition. And this actor came up to her and was like, I just want to let you know, that was the best audition of my entire life. Um, it felt so just natural and nice because you, you knew how to give me just enough to feel like I could just really be present in that room with that role. And I mean, yeah, don't, isn't that what we want from? Yes. Yeah. I just don't get it. Like, I don't, if you've been there too many hours that day, then don't do so. Don't, don't do so many hours. We'll do it. <laughs> right. 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 Yeah. <sighs> I will say one time I went into an audition where, cause I mean, most of my career I'm used to the, casting director giving you a little bit and the first time it ever happened where I walked in and the casting director was like memorized and like looking me in the eyes and like acting with me not didn't even have a script it kind of threw me because I wasn't used to it I like you know you have like your you you get on set you have everything it's easy -er, and uh you get into an audition it's a whole nother machine and I like prepared for that machine and then the first time that happened I was oh it threw you even though in the end it made it better but yeah. yeah, it was like weird. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You're like, yeah. are you? Oh, you're here. You're real. You're, yeah, you're looking with me. Okay, here we go. <laughs> I still don't have a clue what I'm doing in an audition. You know, like, I really yeah. don't. Yeah. Really don't. It's like because it's like you. Uh, it's like a driving test, right? So I remember when I was driving, when I was learning to drive, my driving instructor would say to me on the day of the test, 
you know, because they're, they're sitting next to you. They're going to judge you on whether or not you're looking in the right place. So exaggerate your looks. So I'm going to look left. So I'm going to do this. You're, cause I'm, so he can see. So Because obviously when you're driving, you're just going to flick your eyes, right? And so I remember thinking, like, when I'm in the, when I'm in the audition, like, what can you actually see? Like, because if I'm going, because we're taught, and on, and I'm taught by these great directors or whatever, like, everything's internal, right? We're filmmakers. Yeah. Internal. But then if you're watching me as a casting director and yeah, you're filming it, but you know, you don't always tell me what your shot is or, you know, it's not, it's not a proper film camera. So I don't know what that camera is actually picking up. It's like, well, who am I, who am I acting for in that audition? Am I acting for this camera or am I acting for this person who has a human eye who's seeing everything, you know, wide. And because if I don't give them a performance that moves them, are they going to, not necessarily talk me up because uh, they didn't feel the impact or is the camera or is that going to be too big for the camera? Do I look like? Yeah. I'm right, right. Oh, that's such a good point. Like I'm, I'm never going to prop. And, and the other thing is, is I'm never going to act the scene, how I do in an audition really, because I'm going to be free. I'm going to, we're going to have blocked yeah, it. Exactly. You know, someone else there, the relationship, things will change. So it's like, really, it's like, that's why there's no point in sending 65,000 pages of audition. Ugh. Like, what are you trying to, like, and, and, the, and the mental, the most mental ones. I'm oh, sorry, I'm getting really into this. The most, <laughs> it's like, I, I, I mean, Jesus Christ. Oh, excuse me, yeah. Anyway, yeah. Uh, you know, it's I just mad. say no to the pages. When there's, like, 15 pages in an audition, I'm like, no, I... I'm not going to give you a good audition because it's, I'm not going to, it's going to be bad because I don't know it well. And you're giving it to me the day before. Right. Yeah. The day before. Like you should know. I think that's the thing. Of course, we don't have the luxury of like you go and you meet a director and they'll be like, I know they can do it, you know? And I also don't mean that like, Oh, they're exactly this person, you know, because the other, the other thing that's frustrating is you see a lot is that people are, oh, we just can't see him in the role. It's like, well, or something like that, but it's like, well, you know, or we've got, you know, they go after the, um, the person is that character, you know, but then it's like, nobody's acting, right. It's like the whole point is we're supposed to be bringing a character alive, becoming something else. And yeah. Yeah, it's just, I, I don't know, man. it's one blow. Yeah. So basically, you know, the end of this should be, Hey, let's just make our own stuff, hire ourselves. <laughs> you know, <laughs> Work with what? all our friends, which I started noticing that with like, you know, like the Adam Sandler camp and the, I mean, there's so oh, many yeah. of these groups of people that just hire the friends over and over. And there's something so fun about watching those movies and you get to see some of the same players, but I just imagine that they are having the best time together. You're just playing with your friends and, and, you know, <laughs> doing Christopher that. Guest camp. Oh yeah. Love, yeah. There's just it. a lot of really good ones. I feel like that's. Friends work with friends. I, I think that's, that's one of the best fun. advice some of the best advice one can get in the industry is yes, obviously work on your craft to be good, but be friendly. And I think and people just want to work with cool people. Like when it right. comes down to it, you're spending so much time, you know, every day or, you know, for months with people. And it's like, just, just be cool. <laughs> and through that you get an element of trust and respect, which is essential to yes. help your project. To help to help the thing come alive and, and be what it can be, whatever it may be. Mm-hmm. Amen. Especially yeah. with comedy, I think 
it's important to know that that chemistry is there already, you know, just having yeah. that rapport. I just think it's everything. Yeah. Well, and thank you so much for joining us. Um, yeah, this essentially us. is just going to be, you know, we have our, our podcast that will air every Tuesday. Um, and then we'll do an after show with all the actors. And so this will air on Thursday after the show. And so we're just so grateful that you got to join us and be a part of this project. Guys, thank you so much for having me. I had a lot of fun and um, super wonderful to catch up with you guys and chat about all things um, today. So, uh, yeah, I look forward to checking it out. All right, you guys, mind how you go. I'll uh, see you soon. All right, thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for listening, everyone. Don't miss next week's episode with special guest Ki Hong Lee. And be sure to tune in Tuesday, June 15th for episode five of The Bystanders. Our neighbors at Noble Apartments are feeling the first-time murder jitters. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.